the strong evidences that the Bible is divine rather than human in origin is predictive prophecy. And Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection before it happened. And he also predicted the fall of Jerusalem and the end of the age. That's in Mark 13. It's called the Olivet Discourse. It's an incredibly powerful passage. And it's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. One night, many years ago, where there was a bunch of us who were elders at a church in Orange, and we decided that we would just share our testimonies with one another. One of our quiet elders, his name was Brian. He was always one of the last ones to speak and usually one of the wisest uh, persons. You know, you find the people that are last to speak are usually the wisest. But anyway, Brian told this story and he said, uh, me and a friend of mine were in high school. We went out to smoke some pot. This is Brian's story. So we came back to my house and my mom was having a seance in our kitchen. We sat down at the table. There were multiple people at the table. He says, all of a sudden, we began to hear knocking noises on the table. He said, I looked around. Everybody's hands were above the table. It kind of freaked me out. He said, then the lights started flashing on and off in the hallway. He said, this was my house, so I know it wasn't wired. I know it wasn't rigged. He said, but then this is what got me. The table lifted up off the floor, moved four feet, and pinned the medium against our kitchen wall. Said, me and my friend got up, ran out of there, went to a local church, and became Christians. <laughs> we were all like, Brian, we never knew. The power on the satanic side, though limited, is still real. And so Jesus says, Look, I've told you what to watch for. Watch out for false Christs, watch out for false prophets who will be able to do signs and wonders. Look, um, signs and wonders are quite an incredible thing. Can you imagine if someone was able to do some things in front of you? How many modern Christians would be duped by someone who could do, perform a sign? A lot of them. And you know why? Because a lot of modern Christians lack discernment, and a lot of modern Christians don't even know these Bible passages. And Jesus says, this is what you should watch for. There's going to be people doing things that look miraculous, but they're going to be false. They are false Christ and false prophets. It'll be obvious and plain to see who they are. In Matthew's account, Jesus says, if they say to you, he's in the wilderness, don't go forth. He's in the inner rooms of the secret chambers, don't believe them. For just as lightning, the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. You will not miss his coming. Somebody's not going to have to tell you, hey, Jesus is over on a hill in New York. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. The return of Jesus Christ will be like the most awesome lightning flash you've ever seen in the sky. It will be, here's the idiom, as plain as the nose on your face. You won't miss it. All you have to do is look up. Have you ever seen pictures of those incredible lightning flashes that they capture in a photograph? You're like, wow, they're awe-inspiring. Oh, you ain't seen nothing yet, baby. Because when Jesus comes, he's going to lighten what I believe is going to be a darkened sky. Look at verse 24. 
But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven. The powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. I'd like to take you to a few places in the Old Testament. Turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 13. I'm going to show you how this works because um, this is some what's called often apocryphal language, Isaiah 13. And sometimes what happens is when God is predicting the fall of a nation, he uses these kinds of uh, descriptions. Here's an Old Testament example of the day of the Lord found in Isaiah 13, verse 6. Follow along with me. Six, wail for the day of the Lord is near. Isaiah 13, six, it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp. Every man's heart will melt. Isaiah 13, eight, they will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will ride like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Everybody write in your Bible, Indiana Jones. The first movie. (laughs) Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises. The moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity, I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make a mortal man scarcer than pure gold, mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I shall make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. Would you all look back to verse one of that same chapter? The oracle concerning, what your Bible say? Babylon. Sometimes what happens is that the phenomena of, uh, related to a judgment of God, even with human armies, sometimes painted in this apocryphal language. If you look at Isaiah 34, skip over there. Isaiah 34. Here, Edom is being addressed. That is the nation that came from Esau. We talked about Esau on Wednesday night. Look at Isaiah 34. You'll notice that the subject is Edom in verse 6. The Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, 34.6, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. So that's the subject matter. Go back to Isaiah 34.4. It says, And all the host of heaven will wear away. The sky will be rolled up like a scroll. We see this in the book of Revelation. All their hosts will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine or as one withers from the fig tree. Interesting. For my sword is satiated in heaven. Behold, it shall descend for judgment upon Edom and upon the people whom I have devoted to destruction. And then turn to the book of Ezekiel. It's a little further to your right. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Go to chapter 32. Here the subject matter is the judgment of Egypt, Ezekiel 32, and this is uh, verses 7 and 8. Ezekiel 32, 7. God says, When I extinguish you, Ezekiel 32, 7, 
You'll notice if you just check back for a second, 32.2 says it's a lamentation against king of Egypt, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And then if you skip down, just for the sake of time, he says, when I extinguish you, verse seven, Ezekiel 32, or put out your light, I will cover the heavens and darken their stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon shall not give its light. All the shining lights in the heavens I will darken over you and will set darkness on your land, declares the Lord, the Lord God. Turn back to the Gospel of Mark. So our preterist friends, and some of you uh, are familiar with what I'm talking about, but some of you may not be quite up to speed on this. These are the people that believe everything that Jesus spoke of in Mark 13, Matthew 24, was fulfilled at the fall of Jerusalem. And they say that the language of the moon not giving its light, the sun being darkened, the stars falling is simply a metaphoric, apocryphal type language for judgment that comes from human armies. And since human armies came in in AD 70, that's all this is. However, I would beg to differ. Number one, Jesus said, when I appear, it'll be like a lightning flash as far as the east is from the west. He literally said he's coming again. He's not coming just through an army. And by the way, there was a literal darkness in the land of Egypt, you all might recall. It was the ninth plague, and it was a darkness in Egypt that could be felt, and the Egyptians sat in their houses for three days and nobody even moved. That wasn't metaphorical. That wasn't apocryphal. That was literal. They didn't even go walking around anymore. (laughs) Now, it is true that people say, Josephus mentions this, that there were some weird things that happened at the fall of Jerusalem. One record from history says something had appeared in the sky that looked like a sword for a year. I don't know. I don't know how to verify that. Uh, Tacitus mentioned something. I'll, I can share this with you later if you're interested. Josephus mentioned something. One of the stories is that there looked like there were troops running in the sky, verified by two secular historians. I don't know what to make of it. All I can tell you is that um, this is the things that people try to jump to when they say everything was fulfilled at the fall of Jerusalem. And I'm just going to say, I don't think so. I don't think that that fully explains what Jesus was talking about here. I think Jesus is talking about a, a literal divine visitation like happened on Mount Sinai. God came down on the mountain and it was full of fire. So let's pick it up. Mark 13. Let's look at verse 26. And then they will see who? The Son of Man coming in clouds, that's not rain clouds, that's the glory clouds, with great power and glory. We are looking for the blessed hope that is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. I don't think some so-called sign in 70 AD that there appeared to be some people running around in the sky is quite gonna do it. Would you agree? I think Jesus is coming again and he's gonna show his glory and if the sky is dark, and think about this, if God... How many of you remember the commercial where you could just clap and your lights would go off? Clap on, clap off. Well, here's what I think is gonna happen, folks. God's gonna have the day on his calendar and go, (laughs) lights off. He said, how's he gonna do that? I don't know, he made them. I think he can do it. 
And Jesus Christ is going to appear, and the Bible tells us, and all the angels with him. Hey folks, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, and we'll be back to the message in just a moment. We've been doing a Sunday night service called 633, and in it, we've been looking at a subject called the dark dangers of the occult. The occult speaks of that which is hidden, secret, literally occluded, behind the veil. People are fascinated with these subjects, but God warned in both the Old and New Testament that the occult is something that is forbidden and even dangerous. We want you to have access to these resources to teach you more about the occult so you can tell people who are dabbling in it or messing with it about the hope and the love and the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. You can access this information at our website, walkintruth.com. And Jesus Christ is going to appear, and the Bible tells us, and all the angels with him. Do you know scholars believe there's probably billions of angels? Talk about a light show. He's coming when the sun no longer gives its light. The moon is dark and the stars don't shine. And the only thing that's going to shine that day is the Lord and his glory. And if you're one of his people, you're going to say, come, Lord Jesus, raise up your head. Your redemption draws near. Praise God. Hallelujah. And other people are going to be going, uh-oh. <laughs> the Sunday school story's true. Here he comes. And the Bible tells us that people will be trying to hide in the rocks and in the caves. And some people will be saying, please let a rock fall on me and hide me from the face of the Lamb. For the day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? Do you know who's gonna stand in that day? Blameless, unaccusable before the Father? You and me. If we're here on that day, whoever's here who knows the Lord He's able to make us stand, but he's coming. He's promised this coming. Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Those who pierced him, all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. Revelation 1.7. And so as we move down, it says, Then Jesus 27 will, Jesus speaks, Then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now, the Bible tells us that the angels are coming with the Lord, and I know this sounds fantastic to a lot of you, but this is what the Bible teaches, that God does invade history, and here he comes, and he's gonna send forth his angels, and his angels appear to be involved in the rapture. When they gathered together his elect from the four winds from one end of the earth to the other end of heaven. This is a sweeping statement. Now the people who argue that this was all fulfilled in the first century say the angels here are messengers of the gospel who go out to the four winds of the earth and preach the gospel in the intervening time between AD 70 and the second coming of Jesus Christ. So let's say the angels are simply messengers going to preach salvation. I think that's a bit of a stretch, don't you? The angels are going to gather together his elect from the four winds. There's going to be a great trumpet, Matthew 24, 31. And his angels, or the angels, are going to gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other, Matthew 24, 31. They're going to do an old roundup. 
And I believe that this is your rapture, folks. Some people will disagree with me. That's okay. We can agree to disagree on non-essential doctrine. But I believe what you have at the second coming of Jesus Christ is a rescue of his elect and a judgment of the unrighteous world. All at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, that time will be extended by the judgments of God. It's not a literal 24-hour day, but it is his day. And to me, this fits best with a lot of the other teaching that we see in the Bible. It appears that the church will be going through a hard time, a difficult time. The signs will come. The ultimate sign is gonna be the cosmic sign, the sixth seal in the book of Revelation, the darkening of the natural lights. Here he comes to rescue his people and to judge the world. Two illustrations Jesus gave about this day. Noah and the flood. He says the day that Noah was closed into the ark, the eight people were secured, the flood came and took them all away. Second illustration is Lot, Genesis 19. The angels say we can't destroy this place until you're out of here. And so Lot is literally dragged out of Sodom by who? Two angels. Isn't it interesting? I think there's a connection there. It'll be just like the days of Lot. They said, come on, get out of here. And we all know we don't want to be like Lot's wife, right? Because she looked back. And you know, in this part of the world, there's all kinds of salt formations by the Dead Sea where this occurred. And one is called Lot's wife. You can see, Google it. You can find everything with Google now. You guys know that, right? Google Lot's wife in this area, and you will see there's a formation that very much looks like a woman who's going, <laughs> kind of, sort of, anyway. The salt there is kind of the sulfur and, and the stuff that's found around that area. Mineral content in the sea, the Dead Sea, which is not actually dead, it's called the Sea of Salt, allows you to float in there without the little uh, flotation devices. You can literally walk in there, lay down, and float there. You just can't stay in there too long or it'll suck the life out of you. <laughs> <laughs> now, learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender, 28, and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Jesus pointed out that he was speaking about the fig tree and all the trees in Luke 21, 29. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now the big debate, if you run in these circles of prophecy and eschatology is, who's the generation? And what's the fig tree? Well, people used to argue that the fig tree was Israel. Israel became a nation in 1948. A biblical generation is 40 years. So 88 reasons why Jesus is going to return in 1988. Literal book that was written in the time. <clears throat> Got that one wrong. Well, maybe it's 1967 because they recaptured Jerusalem in 1967. 40 years from 67 is 2007. <clears throat> Wrong, thanks for playing. So, <laughs> that's from John the Beloved, inspired by John the Beloved on the back row. We have to be careful. I think the fig tree is simply a parable. It's a picture. And when Jesus was speaking in the springtime, this Passover week, 
He literally was speaking of something that was a phenomenon happening right at the moment he was speaking. For the leaves of fig trees would grow tender in the spring and then bear fruit in the summer. He was giving an illustration that was right in front of them. Whatever generation this is, and of course it was the generation to the fall of Jerusalem, it was the apostles' generation, but this generation I think, I think just simply means the people who see all of these signs are going to see the end. Skip down to verse 32. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the sun. That's brought some confusion to people. I think just in his humanity, he didn't know. Obviously, as God, he does know. But the Father alone. By the way, this is also a very Jewish expression. Uh, at Jewish weddings, the only one that knew the time of the wedding was the dad of the groom. Only him. He could decide. Now, men in modern weddings have lost all their power. <laughs> Can I get an amen? You ask men who are involved in weddings, what is happening, what's the colors, what's the date, they know nothing. I don't know. They have deferred, backed away. <laughs> but in Jewish times, the father actually controlled the moment of the wedding and he would send a herald out and they had to be dressed and ready to go and the herald would say, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming, get ready. And he would announce the coming. Maybe the, even a shofar would be blown. That's the same kind of language that Jesus says will happen when he comes. Take heed, he says, 33, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time is. I think we're gonna have a good idea of the season, but not know the exact day or hour. It is like a man, as we look at the final few verses, it's like a man away on a journey, 34, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. He says, therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, at cock crowing, or in the morning, lest he come and suddenly, suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Can I ask you, what task has he assigned you until he comes? Well, some of you may be thinking, well, you just said that Jesus may not come back in our lifetime. Well, does that mean that you're gonna skate by? What's your task? Jesus said, occupy until I come. You have one life, my friend, one life to live. One day, you're gonna stand before Jesus and he's gonna say to you, Hopefully, this is what we all want to hear, right? What do we want to hear? Well done. well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Those are words that I'm living for. I do what I do now, not just to hear that. It's all right. I also think of how much he loved me. He was willing to give his life for me. That motivates my service. It was mentioned in the prayer room as you go down our uh, e-bulletin, 
There are needs in this ministry. We need volunteers in this ministry, volunteers in that ministry, volunteers in this ministry. Somebody said in the prayer room, wow, really? So churches today have to beg for volunteers to fulfill ministries inside the church, basic stuff, like putting on a blazer and saying, welcome to living truth. Or teaching a little kid a Sunday school lesson. So you may have to stay here an extra service to serve in Sunday school so a little kid can understand things about the Lord. Amen? Look, you have one shot at this, folks. I have one shot at it. And so I want to be busy about his business until he comes. One day, uh, a panel of us pastors were talking about the second coming on the radio. And... uh, we were talking about the study of the end times and eschatology, and one of the pastors said, what about your personal eschatology? You're like, what? He said, yeah, you're gonna die. Uh, you know, we can, we can preach the second coming, and we should, and we should tell people, be ready, Jesus is coming. But by the way, maybe the more urgent need is, James says, you don't even know if you have tomorrow. Amen? There's a personal eschatology that we all have to deal with. And I'll tell you what, week in and week out in the ministry, we deal with it. We've had some losses in this congregation. And when people come to memorial services and they sit like you guys are sitting right now, we just did one last week for a church member that lost her husband suddenly. All of a sudden, things are a little different. And I have a chance to talk to people just like this and I just say to them, um, I don't mean to be coy or morbid, but you know the statistics on death are quite impressive. <laughs> one out of every one of you is going to die. That shouldn't shock anybody, but usually it's because we're kind of checked out of that reality. What do you mean? I, I, yeah, you too. Now, not yet. Amen. Brother Paul, we heard the story of the little boy in church. The pastor said, how many of you want to go to heaven? Everybody raised their hand except the little boy. He saw the little boy in the foyer. He said, why didn't you raise your hand? He said, I thought you were taking people now. (laughs) (laughs) I want to stick around a little bit longer. See, he's either going to come for us or we're going to go to be with him. Either way, I'm going to go to be with the Lord. He's prepared a place for me. I take great solace in that. That's how much he loves us but I also want to redeem my life for his kingdom purposes. Amen. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up. It's on the occult. It's called the dark dangers of the occult. And we have taught on the subject of demon possession And we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft, and there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.
www.thepowerofpowerpodcast.com.